the scheduled rigid things that can and it can sometimes be very, very tightly structured, like if you're talking about praying the hours of the day, morning prayer, noon prayer, night prayer, all those kinds of things. That that can sound very starchy and rigid and fixed, but it can be just as life-giving as like we have this routine in our family at dinner time when we're all under the table of, you know, what was the high and low point of your day? Everybody knows to expect it, but it's like we're, it's creating the, the ritual, creating the moment where there's a chance to, to connect. So that for the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs of life, we're around the table together. It's something like that can happen with us at God as well. And I think that that conversation piece that you're, that you're talking about, Steve, you know, like, so many people feel like when they talk to God, they can't talk to God in the same way that they talk to a friend. Right. You know, and that you have to use all of these and these and the, you know, like, all slip that. Slip into a British accent. Yeah, <laughs> and, and all those things. And you know what? I'm not saying there's anything against it. Like, right. I, um, at the beginning, end of last year, in the beginning of this year, I, I worked with my church through what we call the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. And honestly, the version of it that I like, just like the Lord's Prayer has these, and now yeah. with it, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not something you necessarily right. have to right. do. I knew a pastor who's a mentor of mine earlier in life. And I, I was surprised at this, this insight of his. But he talked about, like, because he came from a congregation, and he was serving a congregation that was in many ways, you know, cutting edge and progressive and doing lots of things in the sort of new contemporary way of doing things. And I was expecting that his take on, and we've got everybody doing the Lord's Prayer and, uh, with you and, and instead of these and thou, to get away from the old English. And he said, you know what? The these and thou's are what most of the people here have learned to memorize. And so in a time when they're in a, a crisis or a, a dark night of the soul, the words that come back to them are the ways they learned it somewhere down the road. So he was not leading the charge or get rid of these and thou's in worship. And yeah, this is not the way most people speak conversationally for the last 400 years. But if this is what you memorize, and in the difficult time, you don't want to stop yourself, oh no, I learned these and thou's, but I have to stop myself with that habit. That's, that now can become an obstacle rather than a means of connecting. And that, that, to me, that seems like a helpful guide. That, like, it's this underlying, what, what prevents the, the least number of obstacles to me connecting with God? And there may be, oddly enough, times where getting rid of these and thou's isn't the, the thing. Nope, that's, that's where my brain goes fine. But let it be what, what helps connect you with God. And I've been in churches where they've gotten rid of these and thou's, yeah. and it throws me every single time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same way we can all be in Christian unity, and then we all fight over, is it trespasses or sins or deaths? And <laughs> is it forever or forever and ever or, you know, whatever? And like, you know what? We've now missed the point. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, so one, one approach to praying as a regular practice, you're going to do this like as an intentional discipline, which is sort of where our series is, right? Um, one approach is the regular practice of praying for the needs of others, of intercessory prayer. One a model that you talked about a minute ago, Sarah, was that sort of call and response pattern that sometimes is used in corporate worship, mm-hmm. where one person may lead speaking and other people will sort of have a call and response part for uh, at, at different points in the prayer. What, 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 what does that look like? Why do you do it? And, and I, I guess maybe let's, let's talk out, like, how am I praying if I'm not the one talking? You know, like if someone up front is leading and they're the one speaking the words and every so often I'm just doing a, Lord in your mercy, hear our prayers, my response. How, 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 talk us through that, I guess. I guess for me, being Lutheran and coming from a liturgical background where Everybody speaks in worship, granted to different degrees. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, as a pastor of word and sacrament, I probably speak more than mm-hmm. the person sitting in the pew. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, the call and response and including that in the community prayer, the corporate prayer, 
is a way so that people stay engaged and stay active. Like, because I know that when before I was a pastor and when I was the person sitting in the pew, I had the hardest time paying attention during the sermon mm-hmm. and during the intercessory prayers because I felt like they just went on forever. So at least being able to occasionally respond with, you know, whatever the response is, hear our prayer or Lord in your mercy or whatever it is for that day is a way to keep my mind engaged. Okay, okay, okay. As someone who did not grow up in that kind of yeah, uh-huh. I will say I do appreciate for the same reason. Yeah. You know, because it can be very easy to kind of let your mind wander just like when, I know for myself, when I'm just doing my own personal prayers, especially when I'm not speaking them aloud. Yeah. You know, even when I'm thinking about it, sometimes you know, my mind just goes off and I'm like, oh, wait, I need to do this. I need to do <laughs> right. that. And, you know, yeah, like, and, my, and, you know. It's, it's prayers that quickly turn into the to do list. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. oh, God, thank you so much for this and this and this. And also, also, please pray for this person and this person. Oh, yeah, I have to go grocery shopping today because <laughs> I am out of sugar. And I remembered because I just prayed for a great aunt Mildred and she always has sugar cookies. I need to remember to buy sugar today. Yeah. And um and then like before I know it I forgot that I wasn't praying and yeah. that I need to conclude. And, and in a sense there's something lovely about being so woven into prayer that your your prayer life can sort of seamlessly flow into your regular thought life. But there's something valuable about focus in, in the moment. I, I find, too, that structure, whether you use a, a spoken call and response or not, but the idea that, whether it's like out in radiating circles, for me in my immediate world, out to people in like our, it's often the pattern in, in our congregation will be like, that um, moving outward, sort of like from us in this congregation to move here in this room, outward to the wider church, to our community, to the nation, to the world, there's this reminder, even in that direction of, it's not just about me and my personal wish yeah. list. I mean, like, you got plenty of time for all your life long to pray for all your personal wish lists, and we can have another conversation somewhere down the road about how God reserves the right to sometimes answer and sometimes to not give us the things that are personal wish list. But that this is a reminder to me that the act of praying, in addition to however it moves God to answer, which is a maybe other conversation, but does something to me as the one praying. And in the practice of intercessory prayer, it pulls me out of being sort of self-centered, you know, curved in on myself, only interested in helping me with this and this and this. It helps me, oh, there's other people who have needs. And with the regular practice of moving outward, 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 it helps, it, it, it stretches my soul in a way that, that helps me to be brought into relationship with other people to avoid that kind of self-centered theology of why would I care about what's happening to my neighbor? Me and Jesus are cool so I can you know, ignore the needs of somebody else around you. And that's the other thing I appreciate about the more liturgical churches, is that you do pray not only for the congregation, but for, you know, the country, the state, whatever, and for the world. And in my seminary, we, um, they try to teach us through chapel services. We did the opposite. We went from the world and went the way in. But still, it's the same idea. And I know personally as a pastor, I really struggle in my pastoral prayer to get beyond yeah. the local. Mm-hmm. And I need to get better at that because I need to be an example to my people. Yeah. And like, you know, when there's a world catastrophe or something, then it's easy, you yeah. know. Uh, when there's a hurricane or something or a typhoon, it's, it's easy to do that. But when that's not happening, yeah. you know, I know I have a tendency to forget the world. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And for me right now, because of our political climate, I sometimes find it safer 
to not right. go so far. Yeah. But I know that that's my own context of, um, you know, it, it's one of those like, oh, you're praying for this leader in this political party, but you're not praying for like, um, or, you know, but we don't want you to pray for this political party. And it's like, mm, no, we're praying for our leaders. Yeah. And that yeah. includes yeah. our elected officials, whether right. you agree with their election or not. Right, yeah. And I, I think that it's helpful too that it, it changes, at least to do it responsibly, it changes how and what we pray for. So that instead of, dear God, here's the party I want, would you make them win? Instead, dear God, whoever is in whatever level of elected office, let, let them govern with justice and mercy and compassion for the common good. That, like, that's something that, like, again, as, as then the week unfolds, we may disagree, me and my neighbor, about whether a uh, given elected leader has practiced justice or mercy or whatever. But, like, this is what our common goal is. We're, we're one to see justice and mercy and the collective good of our neighbor done in the world. And we're asking God, God, be at work with these people. That, I think, is a way of helping to cut through that, the temptation to make it partisan, that, dear God, we know you picked a side, and what, what do you know? It always happens to be the side that I'm already on. Um, that it helps, to, it helps us to see uh, that God, God can be operative through people I didn't pick, and sometimes God works in spite of people, in spite of people's flaws, and sometimes people work through their strengths, whether or not I want to recognize those, too. And if you're struggling to get to the point of praying for the political leaders that you did not vote for, yeah. Then can I suggest, and again, this is something that the liturgical churches do more often than I do in my own personal, in my pastoral prayers. Occasionally I do it in my personal prayers. I need to be better in my personal prayers. But praying, like for myself as a Methodist preacher, for my district superintendent, and for my bishop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I know, like, you all don't have necessarily a district superintendent, like somebody in that level, but you have bishops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so, like, praying for the religious leaders yeah. over you. And in, in fact, one of the things that I find so moving that I didn't grow up with in my brain to the Lutheran tradition, but have seen in the years, in the last couple of decades, has been that practice sometimes of naming who your bishops are in the prayers. Not that yeah. God doesn't know, but one of the things I find so moving, and I especially notice it when we have like gatherings of our whole synod assembly, like whole you know geographical district, will, and it'll be we pray for, and they'll they'll call them by their first names in a way that like to me reminds me and everybody else around the room like. These are children of God, as well as whatever other title. So when 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 you look, I can remember years when the name of our bishop was his first name was Ralph, and it just it it was it, we pray for Ralph our bishop, and now Elizabeth our national church bishop uh, in the ELCA, um, and our, our local synod bishop Michael. That like oh yeah, these are children of God, and even though I've been taught and ingrained a certain you know you give the title of the office and all that when you address them. That, like, from God's vantage point, yeah, you don't you don't think of this person as bishop so-and-so. God, you think of this person by their first name. Yeah. Um, and there's something that both calls to attention the importance of the work they do, but also kind of in a humbling way, like, you know, as far as God's concerned, they're just another child of God, which is cool. Similarly, when we pray for our elected officials, yes. it's the same thing. Yep. That instead of it being, you know, we're all in Pennsylvania, so instead of Governor Wolf, right. we pray for Tom. Yeah. Instead of... President Trump, we pray for Donald. Mm-hmm. Instead of President-elect Biden, we pray for Joe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's going back to, yeah, you are a beloved child of God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And this is the name that you were given in your baptism as a, you know, either a baby or an adult, whenever you were baptized. Yeah. But 
This is when you are marked and sealed by the mark of the cross. It, it echoes to me, although I don't know that we intentionally do this and never made this connection until now. But one of the things I make a point of saying at funeral services is the intentional remembering of the person, especially in the liturgy, by their first name or first and middle name, but without the family name. Not only because sometimes our, our family names change over the course of a lifetime, if there's marriage or you know whatever, um, but also sort of that callback of like, there are so many ways that we treat people with different levels of importance based on their nationality or the class that gets attached to their last name. And my goodness, Joe can be a high or low station name. You know, that the, the, the fanciest of the fancy and the lowest of the low. You know, like by our first names, there's all that baggage gets sort of pulled away and it's just, just us in our, in our humanness. Um, and so to pray for people that way, it helps me to remember, and maybe we all need it, but I sometimes really have to remind myself that like, even people I really don't like are beloved of God, mm-hmm. and that God does not need my permission to like them, for God to love them. And it may also be that God has a whole bunch of stuff that God's got issues with them, and yet that God loves them. That's a, and I, again, I think the practice of praying helps each of us in the act of praying to remember that and to be shaped by that. Oh yeah, I'm praying for a world God loves, and for people God loves, and there's nobody I will meet who isn't made in the image of God. There's no, no matter how much I dislike them or disagree with them or whatever, there's nobody I will meet who isn't beloved of God. And the only way for me to maybe get that ingrained in me is the regular practice of seeking their good. Um, that, that's a, maybe a good overview of intercessory prayer, but there's other maybe modes or, or ways of praying that are at least worth touching on and thinking of, especially because intercessory prayer often happens in corporate worship, and we're living in a time when you may or may not be able to be with people in a room praying corporately or collectively. Um, so let's talk maybe a little bit about um, practices that are sometimes called contemplative or centering prayer. What, what, what's that like? So this is, again, another very broad category because it's really anything that you use to center yourself to meditate as a type of prayer um so it would be things like i know previously we had talked about some creative ways to pray like praying in color um walking the labyrinth even just going outside and having a conversation about you know to god about the things that you see in creation um, but it could also be singing um, some Tizé songs. I don't know if mm-hmm. everybody's familiar, but Tizé is a um, well, it's a community, I think in France, France yeah. um, that they have a very specific style of singing where it's basically you take one or two lines and you just repeat those two lines over and over and mm-hmm. over again until it's like written on your heart and... Um, there's lots of different people singing and sometimes somebody will go and sing like the tenor line and harmonize for a while. Sometimes everybody will sing in unison for the for the verse. Um, if there's instruments, uh, the instruments will fade in and out so that it, it, it is, becomes very like you don't have to like look at music. You're all just kind of there and letting the music be in you and outside of you and it's I have a hard time describing it but it's very beautiful I love singing today but again it's a very communal thing typically um but yeah there uh, I know of other people who will knit prayer shawls and as they knit the prayer shawls they are thinking and praying for that person and that's not necessarily like them sitting there knitting and going, oh dear God, please be with 
so-and-so and yada yada. They're just thinking of them. Mm -hmm. But thinking of them while they're also like, on some level, talking to God. Yeah. Uh, It's interesting that that idea of repetition of something short um, is, I I think, can be helpful as, as long as there's that remembrance of like, Again, that as we said in our interactive episode, this is not like God gets more impressed the more times I repeat it. And sometimes we can fall into that. The same way in the, the fad of praise and worship course is going to be, now here's this short little praise course. We're going to sing it 20 million times and that can get old. And it's funny how different uh, groups within church life can sometimes like criticize the other person's tradition of, you praise and worship courses, people. You just repeat that same thing over and over and over again. That's not like what we do, but they're like used to doing Taze stuff and vice versa. When like the repetition isn't in and of itself bad. It's just how do you use it and structure it, maybe. For me, Taze is like getting yourself into a meditative mode. Mm-hmm. You know, not... And not Eastern meditation where you clear your mind, but you know Christian yeah. meditation where you fill your mind with God. I used to be part of a Taze service up in Ward, um, and I, I kind of compare it to try to describe it as a slightly modernized Gregorian chant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's just that, and the repetitiveness of it isn't like you said to impress God or anything. It, it's to get you into a mindset of prayer get you into a mindset of worship yeah. where sometimes, and, and I'm going to be one of those people that's a little, little critical, um, praise choruses don't take you there. Ah, that's a good note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I don't know if that's just because of the nature of the chorus mm-hmm. or because of the of how it's led. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, when I'm going to do like contemplative prayer, I need I need a quiet space, and Jose is quiet. I think that's an important piece. Is that like there is the temptation with the quote unquote stereotypical praise and worship chorus of it being like a rock song that borrows the tropes and the and even, 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 yeah, even the musical progression, even the chord progression feels more like we've taken the chord structure of a top forty song mm-hmm. and made it into a simple repeatable chorus and. It's hard not to do that if you're the one leading in a way that makes you a rock star or the leader of a band. Whereas in Taze style, however you lay out your worship space, it's not front and center. Here's the band. Like no, they, they they kind of fade into yeah. the back. Even if they are front and center, they'll fade into the background. Yeah. And that's the point of it. It's and, just a... and for me, another huge difference between praise rock band and Taze mm-hmm. is praise rock band is very much okay. Repeat this so many times, and they'll mm-hmm. write it or like say it. Like, you're going to repeat this three times. Whereas today, it is very spirit-led. Mm-hmm. They're, like, if you do today correctly, nobody, not even the musicians, will have it in their head how many times you're right. going to repeat mm-hmm. this. It's, you repeat it until it just kind of fades away. Yeah. And, it, yeah. Like, so you're not constantly thinking, okay, this is number five, yep. this is number six, we have to do it number eight, oh no, I've lost yeah. track. How many times, like, oh no, I don't know when to end, which is what I'm doing during praise songs, is I'm like counting on my fingers. Yeah. And that's distracting. That's not yeah. meditative, unlike where you're in today yeah. and you're just singing. Yeah. And until you're not. <laughs> And yeah. yeah, well, right, and then, then it's okay if the voices fade in and out, and sometimes harmony will emerge, and sometimes mm-hmm. it'll be all unison. And that, like, the flexibility of, like, not, not exactly rigid beginning and end point, but being kind of feathered, is, yeah, it lets you get out of the headspace of, am I doing it too long or too short or whatever. That, that's an important piece, so that, so that the music becomes a, a, a 
a channel, a way of conveying, yeah. like, yeah, so that we can sort of get get out of the way of ourselves and whatever the to-do list or worries we brought, those can be set aside so that there can be the, the, the conversation with God. And as a singer and somebody who is always singing along to, like, everything, if yeah. I know it, a praise chorus, I feel like I have to sing every word. Uh-huh. But when I'm in a Taze service, like, I'm okay pausing and yeah. just letting the music like mm-hmm. just wash over me for a while mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then jumping back in and then mm-hmm. jumping out and jumping back in like yeah. because of that spirit led nature and I'm not saying that contemporary worship can't be spirit led I mean right, there's right. some really great worship leaders that are very very much spirit led but it's just the dynamics of the service tend yeah. to be yeah. that one you the spirit is more easily felt let's put it that way yeah yeah yeah, yeah not that the spirit isn't in both services but the spirit I, for me is more easily felt in the Tuesday service than it necessarily sure. is in the contemporary service sure 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 um, there there are possible situations where somebody might find themselves having access to a Tuesday style worship service but that's also a harder thing to come by, yeah. especially in a pandemic time. So maybe it's worth also exploring. There are non-musical ways of doing centering prayer. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a simple, short, repeated line that isn't sung, but is just like, I can do this on my own. Uh, whether what's sometimes called the, the Jesus prayer, not the Lord's prayer, but the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Mm-hmm. Um, other short, like, sentence-long kind of prayers that... Are, are learnable by memory with the idea that it's not about performance. God did genetics, I didn't get any words wrong, but I'm no longer fumbling over the words, and now I'm able to sort of get in that headspace, and it's a way of, in a spoken, non-sung way, trying to do yeah. that same thing. How do I get the distractions out of the way and deep, you know, sort of uh, reconnect kind of thing? One of the things that I learned about in seminary was breath prayers. Yep. Yeah. And, and that the Jesus prayer can be one of those. Yes. You know, as you're breathing in, you're saying, Lord Jesus Christ, and as you're breathing out, have mercy on me. Or, yeah. or Kyrie eleison, mm-hmm. you know, Christe eleison, you know, the Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, those kind of, again, those are, they're verbal, but with, you know, no music can be done alone, mm-hmm. can be done in small groups, can be done in large groups, but, you know, it's just, and it helps with that mindfulness, because as you're breathing in, you're saying one phrase, as you're breathing out, you're saying another. Mm-hmm. And I... This, for me, is a good example of not every practice is going to be for everybody. Because <laughs> yeah. breathing prayers stress me out. Because I'm too a, focused. I, I get too focused mm-hmm. on trying to get my like the phrase and my breathing timed perfectly. And like that's just not how my lungs want to work. <laughs> and then if I think about it too hard, it's definitely not going to work. But then, yeah. like, if I don't think about it, then it's not going to work. So, like, breathing prayers it's stress not me out. And <laughs> that is not the purpose of having a spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. And see, they work for me because that's yeah. how my mind and my body works. You know, and, and that's okay. You know, we right. said all along, right. not all these disciplines are going to be for everybody. Right. We're just giving you some ideas to try exactly. on and see what works for you. Exactly. And that, that also suggests, too, that while there are lots of already existing uh, centering prayer or breathing prayers, there's also something cool about the practice of creating your own as well. Yeah. That it might be, you know what, maybe I need to find words that feel like they're mine that I can keep coming back to, mm-hmm. that it's a phrase I can inhale and a phrase I can exhale with. And even the practice of doing that differently over time may be helpful so that it's it's almost like part of the discipline itself is in this moment, what breath prayer can I create that will be helpful for me or for others right now? And then next week, and you know, however frequently that kind of thing. There are folks I know 
um, will, and I will see on social media or, or Twitter, uh, faith voices, who part of what they see as their ministry is that here's, here's in this moment of what's going on, whether it's this, this news cycle or this season or whatever year, for this moment, here's something that I found helpful, and they'll put it out there for other people. Yeah. And sometimes, oh yeah, that's good. Those are good words for me. And other people, you know, take it or leave it. I suppose that's a positive of the reality of social media is that you can put stuff out there or gather things from other people. And if it's great, use it. If not, you know, you just scroll right on by. <laughs> maybe should we give a nod toward uh, maybe like a, a branch off of, of this kind of praying. Um, in creative forms of prayer, where like some kind of physical act of creation, uh, like artistic creativity, can be an expression of prayer too. You mean like praying in color? Like coloring, yeah, uh huh. Yeah, yeah. So this is actually one of my favorite ways to pray when I'm depressed, um, because often, at least in my own depression, I don't feel like I have words, mm. and. Um, as well as my life seems dull. And so praying in color is a good way to like just get like, crayons or markers, bright colorful colors. I try to stay away from blacks and grays and uh, even blues because in my life I feel like blue isn't, like unless it's a bright blue. Uh, which is funny because blue is my favorite color, but like <laughs> I try to find those bright colors and you know, Either start off with just writing a name for God, whether it's God or Prince of Peace or Emmanuel or whatever, and write that down, and then I just doodle around it while I try to think of think of God. Mm -hmm. Like, and what does God mean to me? Or, you know, especially if I'm feeling depressed, try to remind myself of God's love for me. And then if I move on to praying for people, I'll write their name and then again continue doodling around their name. Mm -hmm. um, again, choosing bright, cheerful colors because that is what I feel is missing in my life. Um, but for me, that is a very creative, meditative type of prayer that doesn't use words. Mm -hmm. That That's helpful. Isn't it? The, the idea of praying sometimes involves words and sometimes it doesn't, and that, that's okay. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a helpful recognition, especially for folks who come out of traditions where the assumption is praying is talking to God and you must use words. Um, there's an old story I've heard attributed to the Mother Teresa where she gets interviewed about praying and the person says, what do you, what do you tell God when you pray? And supposedly Mother Teresa's answer is, oh, I, I, don't, I don't say anything, I just listen. And the, the, the reporter like, takes the baby and goes, okay, well, when, when you pray, then what does God say? And Mother Teresa says, well, I, God doesn't say anything either. I listen and God listens and together we just both listen. Um, and there's something lovely about that. Like, mm -hmm. that, that, that is prayer. That, that, the same way... There are times when, with somebody who's very important to you, uh, a friend, a spouse, a parent, a kid, whatever, you need to talk to each other. And sometimes just being in the same room and it being okay and it not being awkward, like that's a sign this is an important relationship. Um, and just being there. Not even I'm there for you because you're in the waiting room and you're waiting on test results in the hospital, but just being in the same place, that, that's possible. And, and recognizing that can happen and it be prayerful as well. That, that, that's, I think, an important recollection. I like walking the labyrinth. Okay. Um, Talk about that. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I pray the labyrinth with words, and sometimes I just walk it. Mm -hmm. and so a labyrinth is, is not a maze. It's not, there's only one correct way in and out. It, mm -hmm. It's just a circular form with, that just kind of weaves in and out of itself. And so you, 
reach the center and then you weave your way back out. Because um, there's only one path, right? Yeah, there's like, only one path. Right. So there's no dead ends. There's no like getting lost in the labyrinth. Like there's one way in, there's one way out. Um, so also, why you have to be careful if multiple people are walking the same same right, labyrinth? Right. Yes. Uh, and usually, it's not like high walls, like a corn maze or something. You know, it's usually something just kind of laid out on the ground. And a lot of times when when I'm doing this, and again, we're talking about not necessarily using words, but like for me. As I'm walking my way towards the center, I'm trying to focus on ways that I can become closer to God or, or things that I want to bring to God. And then once I'm in the center and I spend some time there, like if I brought any burdens to the labyrinth, I try to like just in my holy imagination lay them in the center mm-hmm. and then walk away from them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. leave them there and figure out, okay. God, now that I've centered myself on you, help me to take you out back into the world. Yeah. It's interesting that I think historically the practice of Christian use of labyrinths emerged out of like the medieval era when it wasn't safe to go on a pilgrimage. Like the, mm-hmm. it would be the tradition of going to go to Jerusalem for a pilgrimage as if like getting to the holy location was the goal. And there were times in European history when that wasn't safe or reasonable to do for ordinary peasant to go make. So in the floors of some of the great cathedrals across Europe, like often the one that is most frequently seen in um, American Christianity these days is a copy of the Chart Cathedral in, in France, which is a circular sort of almost rosette pattern. Mm-hmm. And it emerged as like, well, this isn't quite as good as going on a pilgrimage, but walk this and this will be good for your soul. And I think in some ways the, the notion of this is a substitute for pilgrimage has, has missed the point. That like there's value in the journey. And even, even that, that practice of pilgrimage is one that American Christians in the 21st century may, may not have any sense yeah. of. And there's something valuable, but it's not about getting to a particular holy location, but sometimes the journey itself is where the connecting happens with God. And in that winding of the path, walking it, there's connection with God too. It's not just, i got to race to get to the center and that's where I meet God, but the, in the process of walking as well. Because as you're walking, like there are times when you're faced to the center and there are times when you're facing <laughs> yeah. away from the center. And, and you might start off and like... The, the path might take you kind of close to the center, but then as you wind, mm-hmm. then like you're winding in and out, mm-hmm. in, and some of the circuits will take you, you know, while you're getting closer to the center, they're actually taking you to like the outside. Yeah. And it's kind of, for me, uh, a way of representing my, my walk with God yes. and how we get closer and yep. further, you know, just this kind of ebb and flow right. of our relationship with God. And, and so usually when I walk the labyrinth, and I don't have one nearby that I can do it regularly like I did in my previous um, parish, but um, you know, I kind of try to reflect on that, like, okay, yeah. as I'm facing away from the center, as as I'm working towards the center, but now really far away from it, okay, yeah. where, where are those places in my life yeah. where, okay, God, I need to do better, yeah. you know, I, I need to draw closer to you, um, but right now I'm feeling kind of... Yeah. Distance. And to me, my experience of labyrinths has been similar, but with a tweak in that it's, it, I find it fascinating that like you can be led what feels further away and yet to come to learn, this is the only way to get to the center. So instead yeah. of being like, oh, the far away, I must have done something wrong, to go like, oh, this is sometimes how it goes. And though to my mind it looks like I'm being led in the wrong direction, can I trust that this thing that looks like a detour mm-hmm. turns out to be the right mm-hmm. direction? Yeah. And that it's not, it's a reminder to me of, it's not only that God is in the center or God's only at the destination, but that God is in the process of the journey as well with me. 
Um, and I like to me that echoes so many moments in the scriptural story too. You know that it's it's not just when we get to the promised land there God is waiting, but every moment of the journey that feels like it's wandering, it feels like it's aimless. Yeah. Well, if you don't know where you're headed, yeah, but if you're God directing them, then yeah, there's purpose and order when you're closer, when you're farther away. And anytime I've walked the labyrinth prayerfully and intentionally and had like some kind of moment that felt like very particularly profound or important experience. It's rare that it happens at the dead center. It's like somewhere along the way, and like I gotta process it when I'm sitting in the center and walking out. But it's it's not like okay, the enlightenment will come, and as soon as I hit that bullseye, no, it's like it's along the way, and that that to me it says very very clearly, like that that's how this whole journey of faith happens. So lots and lots and lots of possible options and ways somebody might pray. Um, if if it turns out that any of these seem like uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's further grist for the mill. We might have a, a further conversation somewhere down the road about, okay, I don't have a labyrinth around me. What can I do? Well, that, that might be a worthwhile conversation somewhere down the road. But um, at least we've sort of laid out a lot of the appetizers on the table in this appetizer sampler platter that is this series. Anything yep. else we need to and, address today? And just like that this is just an appetizer sampling, that doesn't mean that all of the appetizers are on the table. So just because we didn't mention a specific type of prayer doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile. It means we just ran out of time <laughs> right. or we don't know about that particular <laughs> type of praying. But either way... More to come. Join us yes. next time. Who knows where we'll head next time. We'll join us next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See ya. Bye.